Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to navigating your career after consulting. I'm Kent Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have successfully transitioned out of consulting and gone on to interesting career paths. This week, I'd like to welcome Dan Kelvin to the studio. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. So Dan, maybe we could just start by you giving a little bit of background um, uh, just about your career in general, and then we can dive into your consulting experience and and kind of uh, transition to your current role at Hive. Does that work? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, well, I, I will go back to you know, probably two chapters as we talk about my career. The uh, you know, the second piece on kind of moving to Silicon Valley and AI is probably the you know, least expected path for you know, me or people who knew me. Um, on the other hand, my path to consulting was probably far more linear, um, you know, maybe actually atypically so. Um, so. So it started for me really literally first class of freshman year um, at USC, um, where I went to undergrad. Um, and part of that curriculum had a practical component where half of the class involved a real world consulting project. And I didn't know what consulting was, but I loved the opportunity to learn about a business and help improve it. Um, and pretty much decided from that point forward that consulting was what I thought I wanted to do for a career. Um, and so as you know, summer came around, the next step was finding an internship in consulting, which you know, turns out is not super easy to do as a freshman. Um, but I was, I was persistent, um, sent probably 20 cold emails to different consulting firms in Seattle where I grew up. Um, one of them responded to me and, and agreed to give me a chance for the summer, which is how I got my start. Um, it was a three-person company, four with me, um, so very small scale, but focused on consulting to businesses with a social mission. Um, and during that summer, I had the opportunity to do real work that had you know, real impact and you know, generally validated that this was the path that I wanted to go down. Um, you know, that said, I knew I wanted to work on higher profile issues in a larger company, uh, but also knew that you know, that wasn't feasible after my sophomore year. Um, and so kind of pulled back the, the, the focus um, and was fortunate to have an opportunity to intern at Citigroup Smith Barney um, after my sophomore year in, in private wealth management. You know, from that exposure, really got um, you know, the experience of being in a larger company with more resources, a corporate environment. Um, really liked that element of the work. Um, didn't necessarily find the work to be as kind of mentally stimulating as consulting. Um, so after junior year, finally had the opportunity to work at a large consulting firm um, and ended up spending my summer at Mercer Consulting in Los Angeles. Um, and you know, Bain, really since freshman year when I learned about the company, had been my dream job. Um, and uh, when I got my offer to join full time, uh, you know, accepted on the spot. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of how that, that journey started. Um, you know, and I knew where I wanted to work, or I thought I knew where I wanted to work, um, and that you know turned out to be the the, the right answer. Uh, but I didn't exactly have a great sense of what I wanted to work on. Um, and I think one of the you know huge value propositions of consulting is the ability to work across you know different companies in different industries on different problems, and from that understand you know what I did or didn't want to focus on in my future. Um, and so probably like you know many people who start in consulting, you know my first three years. I think I worked across probably 10 different cases, uh, but most memorable to me was working in the music industry during the digital disruption. Um, and I loved the idea of you know, working in an industry where I was also a consumer, you know, understood and was passionate about the product, um, and then really liked the teams I was working with, both on you know, the Bain side um, as well as the client side. 
Um, and so that was kind of the seminal case of, of my first few years. Um, had the opportunity to go back to business school, um, got my MBA at Warden, um, and took sponsorship from Bain. So uh, you know, two years later, returned to LA as a consultant. Um, and at that point, you know, I was able to specialize probably sooner than typical. Um, and spent you know really the the next several years focused in and around media and entertainment. Um, you know through that had an opportunity to work with some of uh, you know the the kind of most prominent senior executives at some of the highest profile companies in the world on you know truly industry changing topics. Um, you know which was really personally fulfilling, mentally stimulating, um, and you know from that was was fortunate to have a, a pretty quick path to partner. Um, had every intention of of continuing a longer career at Bain over the years, um, and uh, you know ha- had over the years a, a number of interesting opportunities with you know clients or or others you know approach me, but but none that really convinced me to make a move. Um, and so that's the the linear part of the story. Um, you know, a- a- enter Hive, which which I can maybe uh, maybe get to next. Excellent. Yeah, I do want to learn a little bit more about your current role at Hive, but in a different take on things from the normal show f- format, I, I want to talk about consulting first because you, Dan has a really unique story in that he went all the way to partner and then transitioned out of consulting, which is which is a bit unique. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you about the cold outreach that you did in college as a freshman to get your first internship. How did you even think to do that? I I don't know uh, exactly why. I guess I'm glad I did. And you know, it was maybe a good sign of uh, uh, you know, being either overly confident that people would respond to emails, which I've probably since been disillusioned by. Um, but you know, it seemed reasonable if I want to do consulting and these people have email addresses. So I may as well uh, make that connection. <laughs> so d- d- dumb luck more than anything educated. Well, you're hitting on a point that I always try to make on the show, which is a job doesn't have to necessarily be there for you to apply to it, right? And you can just reach out to people and you'd be you'd be amazed at the at the people you'd meet. I always compare it to the the book, uh, the Dr. Seuss book. It's like, oh, the places you'll go, oh, the people you'll meet if you just try, right? You just got to put yourself out there. So that's awesome that you did that and at such a young age. But tell us a little bit about Bain. So you 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 went direct kind of path to partner, you focused on media and entertainment. Um, what, what kinds of projects, I guess, did you work on, uh, you know, in, in the media and entertainment industry? Yeah, so I was, I was fortunate in that I really had a, a very wide breadth of, um, you know, different parts of the ecosystem and different problems within it. Um, so I mentioned my, my first exposure was, you know, in, in the music industry, going through the, the digital disruption, we were working with a large radio operator um, that was essentially you know, starting, to pay, starting to face disruption from, you know, at the time, Pandora and others. Um, and there was a thought of, you know, how, how do you evolve this company into, um, you know, kind of leaning into that disruption instead of running away from it. Um, and so I'd say that was, you know, very much kind of, you know, true transformation working with, um, you know, the, the board, the owners, the executive team, um, you know, re- really on how do you, you know, pivot a company and, and, and have a, a co-pilot seat at, you know, that point, you know, 22 or 23 years old. Um, so that's where it started. Um, and then, you know, in the post MBA years, um, you know, really touched a, a lot of other industries. So I spent a lot of time in kind of large traditional media companies, um, in lots of different parts of the business. So either, 
you know, corporate strategy at kind of the very top level, working with um, you know the, the the CEO and executive teams on you know board updates and otherwise, um, down to you know business unit strategy in certain areas like ad sales or um, you know the launch of streaming products, um, and then also got to work in other parts of the ecosystem. Uh, including you know sports leagues, which which I've always been you know pa- passionate about again as a consumer, and so the opportunity to actually um, you know be a part of uh, of those companies and the decisions that they were making you know in those cases really around how they monetize their content and how do they think about uh, you know licensing versus versus direct distribution was kind of one of the the linchpins of that work. Um, so re- really broad spectrum, um, and then probably the final piece of this, and this is actually a little bit of the the segue to Hive. Um, but back in 2018, I was I was working with one of the major media companies. Um, one of my teams uh, was focused uh, at the time on the ad sales business for this company's TV networks. Um, and much like you know, the digital disruption in the music industry that that started my interest in media and entertainment, um, you know, now kind of 10 years later, the digital disruption was starting to touch television and film. Um, and as that was accelerating, that had you know, wide-reaching impact across many parts of the ecosystem. Um, and so the impact that that had on our clients in the ad sales business uh, was that they felt the need to transform their sales model uh, you know, to a more consultative and insights-led approach that would let them bring their clients you know, not just relationship or association with the brand or the content, uh, but actually faster and more granular data that was actually more similar to what clients were getting from digital platforms like Facebook and Google. Um, and what they you know, realized was you know, unlike Facebook and Google, which own the platform, and so as a result, have the ability to bring data on who you're reaching and how it's working, um, that was an opportunity in the traditional space where, based on how television has traditionally been distributed through cable companies, um, the programmers themselves actually didn't have that data. Um, and so that was kind of one leg of the stool of you know, the industry opportunity and, and what I'd say really was starting to be more of the convergence between media and entertainment and technology um, but then similarly, internally within Bain, we had been exploring opportunities to invest in digital products alongside our core consulting services um, and looking for ways to extend or expand our relationships with our clients. Um, and then fairly opportunistically, I got introduced to the co-founder and CEO of Hive, uh, where I now work, uh, and, and learned that they had started to build some interesting technology that seemed well-suited to solve some of the problems uh, you know, in the industry that I was seeing emerge through our client work. Uh, so I you know, pull, pulled back from that, um, pitched Bain on the idea of a digital products business for marketing and media use cases uh, with Hive as our launch partner, ultimately got the support and funding to, to launch what became known as Bain Media Lab. Um, and really, almost as soon as I was in the partner role at Bain, I transitioned um, you know, from serving clients um, into being the GM of this new business um, and focused on leading a team within Bain in collaboration with Hive to build what became you know, Hive's first application, uh, Mencio, which, which I'll talk more about later. Um, but about a year into that partnership, I was approached by the co-founder and CEO of Hive to join him and the team in building, um, you know, kind of le- leading into the next phase of growth for that company. Um, and at that point, uh, you know, I, I had diligenced Hive twice for Bain, one as a partner and then as an investment. Um, and so I was very bullish on the company and, and kind of knew from the partnership that I could work well with the team. Um, and so while I was you know, hesitant to cross sides, I received really nothing but support from the Bain system. Um, and specifically, kind of the group of senior partners that I worked most closely with gave me the courage to make the jump. So that was kind of the, the, the bridge from the Bain world over to where I am today. That's a perfect segue, Dan. Tell us a little bit more about Hive. Great. So let me start with kind of the elevator pitch on Hive, because I think that'll be 
helpful foundation, and then we'll get into kind of you know how I spend my time now. Uh, but Hive is an AI company. We provide cloud-based AI solutions for what we call content understanding. Um, and what this means more tangibly is that our technology enables human-like inference on tasks such as understanding what's happening in a video, what's present in an image, what's said in audio, what's meant in text. Um, we work with hundreds of customers. Those range from some of the largest and best-known brands in the world, like Disney, Walmart, Anheuser-Busch, Visa, and more, um, to a diverse set of digital natives where you know, we might actually be the second vendor they onboard after cloud hosting. Um, you know, an example of this uh, would include some of the breakout social apps. Um, you know, some of your listeners may, may have heard of a company called Be Real, um, which has spent the, uh, the past several weeks you know, at or near the top of the app store. Um, so really diverse set of clients, um, and we work with those in, in one of two ways. Um, so the first is what we call developer solutions, um, and think of these as technical products for technical clients. Um, and these have the objective of accelerating the adoption of AI by providing developers access to best-in-class pre-trained APIs um, that they can easily integrate into their own applications, uh, which kind of in simple terms is outsourcing the development of you know, widely applicable but technically challenging content understanding challenges. Um, so we have a broad portfolio of these pre-trained models, um, but one example, just to make this a little bit more real, um, is our APIs around content moderation use cases. Um, and so traditionally, your know, content moderation across social platforms has been largely reactive and manual. Um, and this has resulted in you know, well-documented challenges, uh, but you know, in some cases, tens of thousands of employees you know, literally work in warehouses eight hours a day looking at user-reported content. Um, and that you know, is harmful for users who get exposed to content that they shouldn't see. Um, and frankly, for the people who's doing that work, there's a lot of trauma because you're essentially seeing you know, the worst of humanity. Um, and so we've used technology and through that have been able to help hundreds of social networks and online communities uh, including well-known platforms like Reddit, to reimagine moderation to be proactive and comprehensive, uh, where every piece of user-generated content is processed by Hive's models in real time, and developers on the client sides then match our responses to their content rules. Um, so that's an example of the bucket of developer solutions. Um, the second piece is what we call applications. Um, and those are non-technical products for less technical or more analytical clients. Um, and so these products have the objective of expanding the market for AI-powered uh, solutions in areas where we see an opportunity to reimagine legacy businesses with AI. Um, and so in this case, we're actually building the application layer on top of our models ourselves, um, running our models over a massive amount of public content from sources like television, the open web, now even some of the largest blockchains, um, and from that, creating proprietary data sets um, and then subscription-based software on top of that to unlock value for clients. Um, and so earlier I mentioned kind of the Bain partnership with Hive um, and a product called Mencio um, that uh, Bain collaborated on with Hive through our partnership uh, to help launch and incubate. Um, and this uh, allows you know, brands, agencies, and right holders to reimagine how things like sponsorship and branded content are measured. Um, and so as viewership you know, moves from traditional linear television uh, actually reaching an audience on a you know, platform like Netflix with no ads or you know, through a baseball game that now might be across three or four different platforms is actually harder for marketers to do. And so more folks are leaning into sponsorship and branded content where your brand actually appears in the content itself um, you know, through signage, product placement, et cetera. 
um, but that's notoriously been very manual and very hard to measure. Um, and so is one example of how we can use AI in a way that um, you know, is very point and click for the users. So that's kind of what we do. Um, the company is about five years old. Uh, I joined about three years ago, uh, October 2019. Um, you know, since I joined, we raised two additional rounds of venture capital. So we've now raised a little north of $120 million um, and have about uh, 250 employees. Uh, our US headcounts concentrated uh, across San Francisco, Seattle, and Los Angeles. That's incredible. So on the first example that you gave for the for the more technical products. So in theory, right, someone could be on in, uh, instead of basically user reported constant like on like a platform that like you mentioned like Reddit, but like Instagram or something, your your technology is actually able to almost kind of watch that video content without having a, a human say this is bad or, or this is deplorable and go ahead and flag it already and, and, and is the theory that that cuts down on the the total kind of like top of the funnel amount that humans actually have to then kind of see and make a judgment call on yeah that's that's exactly right so there's you know kind of two, two pieces to this the first is um, that level of human-like inference or the ability to you know, see an image and understand what's in it is technically a very hard thing to do. Um, and there's a small set of companies in the world that would have the resources to build that technology themselves. Um, and if you think of the full spectrum of digital communities, including a lot of the startups that are just getting started, um, if you don't have that ability, your platform will never scale. Because if you have, you know, pornography or violence or uh, hate speech or drugs, um, you know, that's not going to allow you to scale. Um, and so our belief is that actually that's something that is important to everybody, but not important for everyone to build themselves. Um, and so that's a general utility where we've now actually uh, you know, built models with north of 50 classes, um, hand tra hand trained on hand-labeled data of more than a billion pieces of data. Um, which is something that no individual company would be able to build and train themselves, but they can plug in and then effectively what they'll get back are the responses, which for, you know, a youth focused or a professional focused platform, you know, might not allow something like a shirtless male, which on Instagram would be completely fine. And so developers are less focused on the machine learning or computer vision or deep learning um, and more about how do they take that response and make it relevant to their community. Um, so essentially, our belief with those products is that we can take those generalizable but technically challenging problems and essentially let folks outsource them so that they can focus on what actually differentiates um, their product to consumers. And not to totally geek it out here, but just because I find that technology really interesting, is part of the data and inferences that are drawn based on characteristics of the users as well. So it's not just maybe the, the image or video, but, but also kind of uh, data points from specific user types or anything like that. Yeah, so it's, it, that's a great example of ultimately what um, you know, clients can focus on uh, if they don't have to get to that core content understanding. Um, and so if you were to think of you know, what, what Hive is being used for is we're not the arbiters of this is what content should go on this platform or not. But what we're able to say with a high level of precision is, you know, this has a gun in hand or this has a lot of blood or this has whatever else. Um, and if you think of then on the platform side, you could now start to build this user graph of, well, actually, this handle has posted, you know, five things with objectionable content in the last, you know, two weeks. 
um, and, and that can kind of allow you to, to bring that more holistic view. So we're really very narrowly focused on being able to take that technically challenging problem around content understanding and then let you know, our clients focus on you know, more important, more advanced issues like the one that you mentioned. That's excellent. And now flipping to the other side of your business, which is the application side, or, or you mentioned Mencio. Um, it sounds like conversely on, on this side, you're, you're, it, this is more about prom- promoting what is good um, a- across multiple platforms. Could you maybe, Dan, tell us a little bit more like a, a real world example, just because I'm not a, I'm not a very <laughs> sports savvy guy, uh, but uh, may- maybe kind of make it real a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll stick with the example of sports sponsorship. And um, if you kind of again, go back to the legacy of how that work was done, that industry or that measurement's been happening for decades, essentially, as long as there's been sports and television. Um, But traditionally, it's been defined again by manual processes of analysts or interns, pen, paper, stopwatch, watching a game and saying, I see the Coca-Cola sign and I think I saw it for five seconds. Um, And so that obviously has challenges with scalability. It has challenges with consistency. Um, and you're probably from employee morale because that doesn't sound like an especially fun fun way to spend your time. Um, and so I think AI provides, again, the opportunity to reimagine that. Um, and it's not just to be able to do what was done before of, you know, I can recognize this logo and how long it was on screen and do that more consistently and more accurately, but actually unlock a broader scale of measurement. Um, and so, you know, as an example, um, you know, with Mencio, uh, we ingest now essentially every second of, you know, just about every network of linear television. So all national networks and regional sports, um, and our models are running across that content, looking at, you know, the presence of more than 8,000 brands. Um, and so what you're actually building is this always on database of brand exposure, which isn't just whistle to whistle of you know first pitch to final out or you know kickoff to final horn, uh, but is actually everything, which includes highlights on Sports Center, amplification in news and talk, uh, replays, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so from that, you can both get a more comprehensive view of what your brand is getting exposed through, um, which lets you essentially measure more return. So if you're a brand, you can actually attribute more dollars of essentially equivalent media value to the dollars that you invested. Or if you're a property, you can say, yo, you're not just getting the in-game exposure, but you're getting another 20% from highlights. And so therefore, this should be priced at a higher level. Um, and, then, uh, and then it unlocks different metrics where you know, t- typically you might look at only your brand whistle to whistle in a sample of games because every, every game you looked at was a linear function. Now you can actually look at things um, you know, across the landscape. And so new metrics like share of voice, where um, you know, uh, if, if you look at any of our clients, they could actually look across their competitive set to say, you know, we actually want a you know, 40% show or 40% share of voice of this category in you know, streaming or in baseball um, and be able to actually measure that um, you know, with kind of a, a level of confidence. Um, so very similar approach, but being able to reimagine it with kind of scale and speed and, and, and breadth. That's an incredible technology and service that you're providing on both sides of the, uh, the different kind of business units you mentioned. Tell us a little bit about your role and, and, and what, what you're doing for, uh, for, for the company. Yeah, so uh, I joined uh, in, in 2019 and really kind of my you know, mandate at the time was to come in and help um, you know, a, a, the, the founding team grow the business. Um, and that you know, kind of takes a bunch of different shapes and sizes. Um, 
but uh, but but has really focused in kind of a couple of different areas. Um, you know, one, uh, one of was really kind of building out our applications business. So that piece that we just talked about of, you know, how do we take what is best in class technology and find ways to get that into, uh, you know, more more uh, customers, you know, new markets, new opportunities, et cetera. Um, and you know, I think actually this, this ties back very well to some of the consulting skill set, which we can get to. Uh, but in that case, you know, it was really kind of a, a cross-functional team where we'll oversee um, you know, the product and engineering side, the sales and marketing side, the client success, um, and so much more kind of at the business level, uh, business unit level. Um, and then the other one, frankly, is just, you know, complimenting um, you know, our, our, our co-founder and CEO in any way that I can help him grow the business. Um, and so that's, you know, everything from marketing as we figure out how do we talk about the company and, um, you know, how do we connect what we do with our customers' needs, um, you know, uh, you know ta- talent and, uh, and, and kind of any other way that we can uh, move forward. Um, and then one of the other uh, areas of focus for us has been how do we find the right strategic partners? So not just investors who put capital in the company, but actually um, you know, strategic partners that can have a role in helping us go to market, um, you know, kind of tied to their brand. And so that's been another major area of focus. And how do you think about growing, for example, the applications business, given that what you described is inherently a large, complex, highly technical sale? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think, um, you know, actually a lot of this goes back to some of the skills that were developed in consulting, um, you know, at least in my perspective, where one of the things that I think you do very well in consulting or kind of forced to do is really adopt the client perspective. Um, so, you know, what, what, what matters to this client? What will make a difference in their business or in their roles? Um, and ultimately, what is the problem that you're solving more so than what is the product that you're selling? Um, and so that was, you know, one of the main areas of focus for us is if you think of kind of that umbrella category of content understanding that could literally apply to, you know, millions of tasks, millions of processes, every industry. Um, and so for us, we needed to kind of build the discipline of what are the opportunities that we actually think, you know, are scalable that we think we can compete in. Um, and how do we you know, strategically place our bets behind areas that, that we think are the right bets for the company. And and how big is customer success as kind of part of what you do? And let me, I guess, caveat this with the, the reason I ask is because more and more we see consultants, former consultants going into either kind of sales roles where it, it's exactly like you said, it, it's more about the problem that, that the end customer is solving um, or, or B, we see them going into customer success roles because this isn't just about, you know, okay, we, we sell the product and, and now we, we walk away. It's, it's usually about, well, getting things right and optimizing and then kind of showing that value on a, on a long term. So just curious to, to hear, you know, your, your views, I guess, maybe not just on customer success, but also on kind of uh, the, the, the sales role in general for your company. Yeah, for sure. So I, I do think customer success is um, you know, very, very important element you know, probably in a slightly different way than it might be for a typical software company. Um, and so I, I think if you think of most SaaS businesses, um, you know, for the most part, it's kind of the, the, the product makes sense uh, of what it is. And really customer success is how do I drive, you know, engagement, retention, you know, be there to help. Um, and is much more, I would say, kind of a client relationship based role. Um, 
you know, not to take away from, from, from that, but, but, but I think a lot of it is being able to build trusting relationships, be responsive, et cetera. Um, I think when we think of customer success at Hive, you know, we actually don't call it customer success, um, but we call it enterprise analytics. Um, and uh, that team, actually, we've recruited um, you know, a lot of former consultants to join. So folks from you know, McKinsey, from Deloitte, um, and, and otherwise. Um, and really, the thought there is how do we help tell data-driven stories, which is actually very similar to the consulting role. Um, and that fits into you know, kind of a few different buckets for us. So if you think of our developer solutions business um, and kind of the API side of the world, the reality is you know, that's a very low-touch service model once that product is integrated um, because it's essentially just a plug-in and you know, it's the client application and, and you don't necessarily need a lot of back and forth um, you know, other than kind of general health checks. Um, but convincing a client that this is the right solution for them uh, actually is something where uh, you know, curating the right evaluation and communicating that to a client is really important. Um, and so if you think of one of kind of the core skills of consulting is how do you take a tremendous amount of data, uh, you know, synthesize it and analyze it in a you know, way that is uh, you know, accurate, robust, et cetera, but then simplify it in a way that is really easy to understand for someone who's not you know, on, on cell you know, Z7500 um, of your spreadsheet. Uh, and, and so for this role is, is really how do we take um, you know, these massive data evaluations, which could be you know, millions or tens of millions of pieces of content across 50 classes, but ultimately you know, summarize it for a client in a way that helps them understand if this is what they need, if it's better than what they're using, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's kind of one piece of it. Um, and the second one is on the application side of our business, which w does have a little bit more of a customer success motion. Um, you know, a lot of that customer success isn't about, you know, are they engaging with the platform, but it's really, are they able to make the, the right, uh, you know, inside extractions from the data in the platform. Um, and so it's a much more value added, uh, you know, level of customer success where, you know, that team again can almost be side by side with the client to understand how they're interpreting the data, help them structure, you know, the analysis that they might be doing on top of it. Um, and, and again, I think it's a great, great example of where, you know, the consulting skill set has really complemented, you know, what we, what we do as a company. And are data scientists part of that equation as well? Yeah, exactly. So, so we do have uh, in kind of our core uh, you know, pr product teams and, and engineering more traditional data science roles. Um, and so think of those as kind of in between, um, you know, writing the code on the product and you know, kind of ultimately uh, you know, engaging with the clients. I would say, you know, over the last um, you know, few quarters, we've actually shifted or grown more headcount in that kind of enterprise analytics group that is um, you know, really using consultants as kind of five tool athletes that can play some of those data science roles. Um, but, we, but we do still have you know, a role for that independently as well. Excellent. Um, well, Dan, that, that's that's really interesting. Also, the, the way you've kind of grown the business and, and, and the type of talent that you're using. Um, Want to transition to just kind of any advice that you have for folks that are maybe in consulting and thinking about making a transition to tech or a startup environment or a venture capital backed company. Um, just, just your advice or thoughts in general. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's, it's a good question and it's going to be different for everyone individually. Um, yeah, I think the, the analogy that I used to use is, you know, I thought of consulting as a highway, which was effectively, you know, the fastest way to advance in a general direction, um, you know, high speed, no stoplights, et cetera. 
Um, and at some point when you know what your destination is, you need to get off the highway and get to a specific street address. Um, and you need to be careful to not keep driving if you should, should have gotten off a few exits ago. Um, yeah, but it would be hard to convince me that anyone interested in business who had the opportunity to work at a top management consulting firm shouldn't take it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very bullish on kind of what consulting can be. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think kind of the, the when to make the transition, uh, ultimately, there's probably a, a, a few different uh, things I would think about. You know, and the, the first is, uh, I think you have to actively commit to being in consulting. Um, and, you know, this goes in both directions. And for me, obviously, I, I actively committed many times to, to, to get to where I was. Um, but the reality is consulting firms have a very thoughtful retention program, you know, such that if, if you are performing well, there is always a nearing promotion, an upcoming raise, added responsibility. Um, and given that, it's easy to get swept up in the tide. Um, I started with a, a class of about 15 people uh, at Bain, Los Angeles, out of undergrad. Um, and when I left in 2020 uh, or 2019, um, you know, I was one of two people remaining. Um, and you know, as I would talk to my old classmates over the year, you know, many of whom are, are still close friends, you know, there was always kind of this loaded language around you know, still being at Bain, quote unquote. Um, and you know, on paper, being a partner at Bain was you know, arguably the, the hardest to get and you know, maybe most accomplished role of that group. Uh, but there was always some feeling that it wasn't you know, bold or that you know, the grass was always greener on the other side. Um, and I think you know, in my early years, um, you know, because I was happy at Bain and had no intention of leaving, you know, I never took calls or responded to emails from you know, headhunters or, or explored opportunities for many years. Um, and you know, ultimately, I found the, the process of evaluating the few roles that did come my way very clarifying that I was actively choosing to be at Bain versus any other company. Um, you know, honestly, probably some of the best career advice I ever received was from a um, you know, now very prominent uh, executive in the, the, the media industry who um, you know, at one point I was d discussing a role on his team some years back and yeah, I was e evidently uh, waffling in my conviction on what I wanted to ultimately do. Um, and he said in a you know, bl blunt way that, that only he could, um, you know, something that would be kind of more, more PG paraphrased as you, know, you can't be on the fence about what you want to do with your career. Um, you're either fully in where you are or you should leave. Um, and, you know, at the time, the answer for me was, you know, being fully in on Bain. Um, but that advice has stuck with me and something that I think, you know, everyone should continue to evaluate is, um, you know, is where you are getting you to where you want to be? Are you still learning? Do you feel supported? Can you tie yourself to mentors? Um, and do you have a sense of kind of, you know, what that end destination is? And is it still north of where you're driving? I love that, especially around actively committing to being in consulting if you're in consulting, because at least for me and, and a lot of folks that I talk to in, that are in consulting, it's like as soon as you get in consulting, you're already thinking about what's next. And ironically, that's the topic of this podcast. But but I think one thing I guess I observed, I actually wrote down when you were doing your intro is it seems like you were really intentional about the projects and the clients that you were working with at Bain. Could you talk a little bit about that or am I incorrect in that assumption? No, I think I think you're totally right if you, you know kind of look through hindsight. Um, yeah, I'd say in in the other direction probably one of the really unique elements of consulting is that it's a field that embraces, you know, and frankly probably almost seeks really smart people who in many cases don't exactly know what they want to do, um, but then by design exposes them 
to you know, an incredibly diverse set of potential, you know, quote unquote, next careers, you know, through their work with different companies and different industries on different problems, et cetera. Um, and I think there's not many other professions like that. If you, you know, think, of, think of a doctor, you, know, you have to have the conviction, not only that you want to practice medicine, but conviction around specifically you know, what you want to practice for the rest of your life. You then go straight to years of grad school before practicing. Um, you know, say you become a dentist and it turns out you don't actually like that. It's really hard to pivot. You can't become an optometrist. You can't become a surgeon. Um, you can't become you know, an investment banker. Um, you know, consulting, on the other hand, essentially bundles a series of internships into a cohesive resume item. Um, and along the way, you understand what you get energy from and what you want to do more of. And frankly, as importantly, what you don't. Um, and I was pretty lucky that uh, you know, I got exposure to areas that I was passionate about um, and then had built you know, a sense of uh, a group of mentors who really helped me, um, you know, kind of navigate uh, getting more of those opportunities in the future. Um, and so I'd say as I spent longer at Bain and had a sense of what I wanted to do, um, I was really fortunate in the ability that, you know, if I could write a bucket list of companies that I thought I would want to work with, I actually got to do that with, you know, se several, if not most. Um, so so de definitely was able to get to that level of specialization, but it started from, you know, essentially throwing darts at a wall and seeing what interested me. And was there anything about consulting where you maybe felt underprepared given your role now at Hive? I know your path is a little bit different, right? It's like you, you dipped your toe <laughs> in the water before jumping in, but curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean... Listen, I believe you know post consulting jobs should build on, not rely on the consulting skill set. Um, and I think said differently, you know, if you want to do corporate strategy, I don't think you could convince me that there's a better place to do that than Bain, McKinsey, BCG, Deloitte, etc. Um, you know, you will work on the most critical issues, have the opportunity to work around multiple influential executive teams, you know, and be coached by a rotation of exceptional business talent that care about you as a person and a professional. Um, and so I think you leave consulting when you're ready for the next challenge. Um, and the skills and experience that you have gained in consulting, you know, opens up new opportunities where you should feel like you're drinking from the fire hose. Um, and so for me, you know, that's exactly what consulting did, um, you know, and getting, you know, what was, what was described to me by, by a close advisor as I was making the decision, you know, kind of a once in a lifetime role or opportunity at Hive, um, you know, but one that, that I would have a ton to learn because it was a step function above what I'd done before. Um, so just to highlight, you know, some of the things that I maybe went through, um, you know, as I ramped up, but, you know, first of all, I was entering a highly technical company at Bain. Um, so our, our co-founders were both technical, as was probably you know, 90% of the headcount when I joined, um, and I have zero background in computer science. Um, and I wasn't you know, hired to be technical, but I knew that being effective on the business side required a deep understanding of the product and the technology, um, you know, frankly, as did earning the trust and respect from the rest of the team, where you know, in some ways I was kind of the outsider or you know, someone who looked different from the prior mold. Um, and so I think one of the best skills you learn in consulting, um, and this is kind of a you know, cheat on the question, uh, but is the ability to get up to speed on you know, new industries or new skills quickly. Um, and I deployed that from day one. And so even though I hadn't had exposure to anything you know, technical, um, you know, I kind of knew how to do that and what that playbook looked like. And so you know, I would watch Stanford CS lectures on YouTube. I would look up every term or acronym that I didn't understand. Um, you know, I even jumped into the deep end of trying to read code just to understand how things worked. Um, and so that was a very critical knowledge gap to fill that, you know, again, consulting wasn't supposed to 
position me for that, but it was to get me into a world where that was the challenge that I had to tackle. Um, yeah, I'd say that the second difference, and this one's probably more generalizable, you know, regardless of, of what point someone leaves consulting, um, you know, is that when you leave into a role like this, it's much more operational, um, you know, and especially at my level, you know, greater autonomy and ownership. Um, you know, in consulting, I think by definition, you're an advisor. Um, and as much, if not more time that you spend getting to the answer is actually packaging the answer and working with your clients to drive them to action. Um, and at Hive, you know, some of those constraints were relaxed. It was, you know, my job to make decisions um, and to do so at a faster rate with far less data and analysis than we would have at Bain. Um, and so what might have been, you know, six weeks and 100 slides at a consulting firm, you know, was sometimes condensed down to a few bullets in Slack and a quick conversation. Um, and that was you know, incredibly empowering um, and is probably the part of my role that I appreciate the most. But it's definitely a different muscle when you come from, you know, that conditioning of, you know, getting every piece of formatting right, getting every argument anticipated, et cetera. Um, and then finally, I would say, um, you know, not necessarily a gap per se again, uh, but just being in a fast paced startup environment, you really realize the opportunity cost of your time. Um, in consulting, you know, things are fairly bounded. You have a certain set of objectives and a certain, you know, number of weeks or months to get those accomplished. Um, in a startup environment like Hive, you know, really velocity wins. Um, you know, so not just speed of how fast you're going, but you know, how fast you're going in the right direction. Um, and you know, if you can make the right decision two weeks sooner and let us move to the next one and realize those benefits sooner, um, you know, that's really impactful for the business. Um, and so that really forced me to challenge you know, what was probably a perfectionist mentality that I built at Bain. Of, you know, how do you kind of get the, the top of that asymptote of the, the productivity curve you know, one tick higher um, and really realize that you know, many times done is better than perfect um, and text, test and learn is, is almost better than the textbook answer. Um, so I think that was a really important muscle. Um, yeah, may, maybe one final one just to add to the list and you know, it's kind of a, a little bit of a non sequitur. Um, but it's kind of funny because in consulting, you know, especially out of undergrad when you're in your early 20s, but you know, really for most of the time, you're working with clients that are older and more experienced than you are. Um, and I think part of you know, the job in a way is to act you know, quote unquote older um, so that you can earn their you know, trust and respect. Um, you know, that paradigm kind of flips now at, you know, at Hive and Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and, you know, kind of nearing retirement. It feels like, um, you know, my, my boss, our CEO just turned 30, you know, most of our employees are squarely in their twenties. Um, and so I actually found, you know, the adjustment in the other direction of, I needed to make sure that I was actually approachable, um, you know, that I, I hadn't aged out of being relevant, um, so I learned, you know, lots, lots of new emojis and such. Um, and, you know, the, the journey continues. Well, and that's something I'm just picking up on just by, by getting to know you is, is, is you, you, you did your homework, right? To, you're never going to be as technical as, as, as your team, right? But you did your homework and, and then you're also making yourself vulnerable and, and, and showing people what you can and can't do. I, I, I think that that probably really helps, um, and and your point around the the job being much more operational is definitely well taken, uh, and and something that we we've we've definitely heard before. Um, excellent. Well, I guess on the theme of advice, we're all a bunch of nerdy former consultants. Uh, so the last thing I guess I'm curious about, Dan, is any recommendations on books that have made an impact on your life? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I I over index on an attempt to be 
very broadly aware of current events and industry news. Um, and so the mo- for the most part, I probably favor you know, news alerts and articles and podcast books. So you know, kind of the, the traditional mile wide and you know, couple inches deep. Um, yeah, I think on the, on the podcast side, I, I now mostly consume content in kind of the tech startup or investing space. Um, you know, my, my daily or weekly habits um, you know, would be a podcast called This Week in Startups um, uh, and the All In Podcast, which I think do a great job of you know, bringing together relevant people in the industry, talking about relevant themes. Um, and then I'll seek out you know, essentially any long form you know, tech executive or entrepreneurs interviews wherever I can find them. Um, yeah, I think the, the through line to books is that I've started to consume audiobooks, um, which I seem to do a better job of than, than getting through print. Um, yeah, the, the last one I read was uh, from Bob Iger, the, the former Disney CEO, um, his autobiography, Right of a Lifetime, um, which was a you know, great, great read, both as a you know, fan of the brand on a you know, consumer and professional level. Um, and I think, you know, just a very iconic leader to be able to kind of get into, you know, his mind over the course of decades was really interesting. Um, I'm currently listening to a book called The Founders, um, which is the story of what's called the, the PayPal Mafia. Um, but it's kind of a unique constellation of transformative Silicon Valley executives includes, you know, Elon Musk, uh, Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman, uh, you know, kind of executives and investors that initially came together starting and growing PayPal, but have since um, you know, left to uh, really create kind of iconic uh, Silicon Valley, you know, and, and frankly, you know, world companies. Um, and so this looks at you know, kind of the founding story, how they came together, how they work together. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my, my list for now. Excellent. And I'm on the same page with you as far as audiobooks. I, I can't imagine right now cracking, cracking a book open, uh, if, if it's in old fashioned, uh, format. Well, Dan, thanks so much. This has been incredibly informative. Um, I've really enjoyed, uh, having you on the show, I guess for our listeners interested in learning more about Hive, uh, it, could you share a website or contact information that, that where they, where they might want to kind of do their research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, back, back to the earlier comment, we, uh, uh, are very aggressively hiring across all locations. Um, and especially for consultants, see a huge value in that role. Um, you can see, uh, any, any of our current roles at careers.thehive.ai. Um, but if you want to email me directly, Dan at thehive.ai. Uh, happy to put you in contact with uh, with the right people on our team um, and would love to, to bring more former consultants into Hive. Excellent. Um, and then um, for those listeners that want to hear past episodes, be sure to check out beyondconsulting.info and make sure to subscribe to the podcast either on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon. And lastly, if you want to get in touch with us directly, it's going to be eca-partners.com. But until next time, thanks so much. And we will talk to you next week.